Welcome to the Inrooted Podcast, where we believe it's our biblical duty to work the land and that scripture provides wisdom for our everyday walk in life. This is your podcast where faith intertwines inspiration, new perspectives, and practical tips for your forest management and land ownership journey. Let's get started. All right, today is Valentine's Day. All things love, right? Now, I know last week I talked about some actions you can actually take on the ground to show you love your land, to show your love for God through your stewardship of actively managing the land and what you can do. Today, we're going to have a slightly different spin. And honestly, it's probably going to be something that you didn't expect to happen. It's going to be from a verse that you never looked at, perhaps, through the lens of acting in love. So what is this? What am I going to be talking about? Stay with me. Genesis 3, verses 22 through 24. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Probably not what you thought I was going to bring up for a podcast, an episode about love, did you? Now, if you have no idea where this verse is coming from, I'm going to give you a quick little paraphrase here, okay? Essentially, God had created the earth. He made Adam and Eve. He placed them in the Garden of Eden. They had one job to work the garden and have dominion and manage everything appropriately and not to eat from the tree of knowledge. All right. One job, one rule. Don't eat from that tree. Of course they do. The serpent deceives Eve. Eve eats. She gives the apple or fruit or whatever you want to picture it being to Adam. He also eats. They find out they did this terrible thing. God finds out, curses them, banishes them, kicks them out. Seems a little harsh, right? But that's essentially the story. And honestly, I always thought growing up that this was really harsh. I mean, it was just one bite, right? It was only one rule. What was the big deal? It wasn't until this year that I actually started looking at this chapter. I've been reading every morning at 530 with a a group of people. You're more than welcome to join. I invite you. You can find the link on my LinkedIn or my Instagram stories every single day. Wake up at 530, start the day in the word. And we go through. And so I started reading Genesis again for the first or second time, depending how you want to look at it with new eyes. And and it it became more aware to me that, that God did this act because he loved them. He did not want them separated from him forever. Now, we do have the benefit of having the, the story from beginning to the absolute end to be able to see this redemption story. But I can imagine how hard and difficult it must have been to actually have to do this plan. He never wanted to do this. Their disobedience caused this domino effect of what needed to occur to play out for, you know, Jesus to come and die for all of our sins for eternal salvation. But he had to, and he did it out of love. But it also occurred to me relatively recently that what if he didn't? What if he didn't kick him out? And I'm not going to be talking about the salvation of souls and, um, you know, focusing on that that coming back together for eternity because I am viewing this through the lens of land stewardship and management and the lessons and insights I gain from that, which are absolutely everywhere. Just how you can get morals and values and impacts for your daily life of how to act in every single scripture, I also see and bleeds off of inspiration for our own land ownership and discipline. And so I can't help but think 
what would have happened to the Garden of Eden if Adam, whose only job was to work and manage it, you know, take care of what he'd been given, chose to act disrespectfully, then chose to lie, then did the blame game with Eve and the serpent, what would have happened if they had stayed? What would have happened to the garden and the animals? Would they actually have managed it appropriately? Would they have it put in the work? Or would they have looked at themselves arrogantly and prideful of like, why am I lowering myself to these things? Would they have neglected the garden because they felt that they were too good now to, to put in this manual labor and work? Would they have done some devastating actions to the garden? because now they thought themselves better than. I can't help to think that God kicks them out for their own good so they do not eat from the tree of life and live forever and be forever separated, but also for the good of the Garden of Eden and what might have happened. Now, where is Eden today? I have no idea. And I've also accepted that I'm not meant to know all things all times. That is a hard pill to swallow many days, but it is true. So I'm not meant to know. But this lesson is a huge insight and inspiration on tough love how we have to act sometimes for the betterment of those that we love and specifically when it comes to our land ownership and management i'm thinking about succession you are managing and working this land right and if you have kids perhaps your succession plan is to pass it on to your children but what happens if they're not exactly the right people that probably should be taking on this management. Can we be self-aware to recognize who in the family is the best steward to take on this amazing asset? Is it our children or is it somebody else in the family? Can we be self-aware to withhold this asset from our children if we do not deem them responsible enough to handle it? Now, I'm not necessarily just saying like, oh, well, they're too young and they can't do this or that and, and placing that type of projection on them. I'm talking about they have shown in their actions like Adam and Eve fighting the one rule, then lying about it, hiding and lying about it like toddlers. I'm talking about those types of actions. Have they displayed that they are not ready for this responsibility? And sometimes our decision may need to be that we need to remove them from succession, from inheriting this amazing asset. They can inherit a lot of different things from us, but perhaps they don't inherit the family land. Because if they can't prove responsible and value the land in the same manner that it needs to be valued and understand the stewardship responsibilities associated with this asset, what's going to happen to it? if they get it, if they stay in that Garden of Eden when they've already proved disobedience. So this may be a crossroad of inheritance decisions, and it's not an easy one, and it's not a light topic, but it needs to be considered, and it needs to be considered through the lens of love, just like how God used his love for Adam and Eve to do a tough decision, because enabling doesn't actually help anybody. And if you continue to enable them and then hand them this amazing asset and opportunity on a silver platter, I think we all know how that's actually going to turn out. But we also need to remember this doesn't necessarily have to be forever. 
Now, it may seem like it was forever when I reference, you know, Genesis 3, because Adam and Eve never made it back to the Garden of Eden. But again, we have the book to kind of show us the entire storyline of what God intended for us to come back for eternal salvation. So even though they didn't necessarily come back to the Garden of Eden, we still have the ending of how he has redeemed us. But I want to reference a different pair of characters, a different set of family members, which are still from Adam and Eve, but down the line, okay, to show that things and kicking out doesn't have to be forever, okay? And again, like I said, I've been reading, you know, going through Genesis every morning at 530, and so I haven't finished it, but I've gotten to this part, and it's really resonated with me with this self-awareness of uh, succession and planning for it. And it's the lessons and stories of Jacob and Esau. So if you're unfamiliar with this, these are a pair of brothers. And essentially, the short version of Genesis 25 through 36, I'm going to condense these 11 chapters very, very quickly for you. Jacob and Esau were twin brothers. Jacob is uh, always meant to have the, the promised land, the promise of the inheritance and his descendants and everything go through him. But he was technically the second born, which means naturally Esau would have had all the inheritance. Esau was a hunter. Jacob was like a, a tent maker or a shepherd. He stayed around the home. Jacob deceived and tricked his brother out of his birthright inheritance. Then he tricked his dad, he really tricked his dad into giving him the blessing that Esau is supposed to get. Esau at this point is furious and threatens that he's going to kill Jacob. So Jacob goes and runs away um, by biddance of his mother, tells him, go run over there. I'll tell you when to come back. He stays gone for 20 years and then comes back. All these kids, a couple wives, a few wives, too many wives, uh, comes back with his family to meet Esau, is preparing for this head-to-head, -head, is terrified, and Esau grabs him with open arms and embraces him. Essentially, to me, it reads as a story of forgiveness. I don't have the story about Esau. It never really says if Esau, um, you know, formally forgiven him, went to God or anything like that. But I like to look at this period and this coming back together as a, a character-building example. We have two brothers here who were honestly were quite terrible. You have Esau, who didn't really care much for his inheritance responsibilities, sold it for a, a bowl of soup to his brother because he was quote-unquote starving, and then tries to kill his brother because his brother tricked his dad. You got the younger brother, Jacob, for whatever reason, supposed to be this like great leader and have God's promise, who tricks his brother not once but twice, takes his uh, blessing and inheritance by tricking his dad. And he goes full out, like by dressing in his clothing and, you know, putting goat skin all of hands. He goes full on deception mode and has to run away. It's in these 20 years that there's a lot of character building that I'm not going to get into, that they come together and they're able to kind of live side by side and be good brothers. And so this is a story right here of redemption that perhaps you have to kick them out for a while. They have to go through their own character building stage and trials, whatever that may be, so that when the time is more appropriate, they now have more humbleness, more servitude, more understanding of this responsibility they've been given. So when it comes to our land, you quote unquote, kicking them out of the succession of inheriting the family land doesn't have to be forever. It can be a temporary decision while you wait to see what their character building timeframes is going to be. Are they going to learn from their mistakes or their bad choices more so? 
these uh, the characters of Jacob and Esau were a multitude of bad choices. But at the end, at least of 36, because that's as far as I'm at, they seem to have learned a good bit. Doesn't mean they're perfect, doesn't mean they're going to always make great decisions, but they have changed from those naive, very immature ways. And so perhaps with your own family inheritance, you simply have to wait for your kids to go through their own character building before you hand them the responsibility of your family land. Or perhaps you make other decisions and during that time period. In any case, I think we need to look at our removal of succession, removal of our kids from making management decisions, from inheriting our family land, not through eyes of disgust or you know punishment we don't need to look at it as a punishment for them that's a much better word that i was looking for but as an act of love for them to figure things out so that way if and when they do receive this asset they can handle the responsibility the right way they can ensure that they are going to continue stewarding up the right way so self-reflection for you today what actions do you maybe have to start implementing out of love? Tough decision makings, crossroads that you have to decide who's going to inherit this. Perhaps you do give it to the younger brother and not the oldest. Perhaps you give it to your daughter and not your son. Perhaps you give it to your nephew. Perhaps you donate it to a conservation organization. Perhaps you donate it to a ministry like Christian Timber. There's a lot of different opportunities, but we need to make sure our actions and our decisions are through the lens of love and not punishment for the wrongdoings and mistakes of those around us. Because if we held a mirror up to ourselves, I think we'd also see how many mistakes we make ourselves. But what we got to do is wake up every day and try to do one thing a little bit better because our management and our stewardship of our lands is an act of worship, and to show our biblical obedience and walk with God. So, until next week.